0: Welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual and spirited community dedicated to the free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We're very glad that you all are here. It's so wonderful to be in person and to see one another's faces. And it's wonderful to have those of you who are following on the live stream here with us as well. I hope you feel as included as it's possible to feel. And hello to all the children out there too. It's nice to see your faces. It'll be better to see your faces in person. We come from a long history of teaching that there's a spark of the divine in everyone. And it's in the spirit of that history that I say, let us greet the divine in our midst by turning to the people to your right and left and welcoming them here this morning. Join me as we light our chalice. This is this the flame, is the flame we, we hold in our, our hearts
1: as we, as we strive, strive for, for justice
0: every for everyone. This is the light we shine upon systems of oppression, of oppression until, until they are no more. This is, is the warmth that we share with one, one another as our struggle becomes our salvation. salvation. I want you all to meet Carrie Holly Hurt, who's a member of our church um she's one of our seminarians she's at austin presbyterian seminary her husband russell is on the board we'll get carrie on the board later (laughs) carrie's been in charge of our social action team our call to worship
1: marvelous truth confront us at every turn And every guise, iron ball, egg, dark horse, shadow, cloud of breath on the air, dwell in our crowded hearts, our steaming bathrooms, kitchens full of things to be done, the ordinary streets, thrust close your smile that we know you, terrible
0: joy. This congregation wrote its own mission statement, and we wrote it together. We wrote it on the wall. We say it every Sunday to remind us what we're doing here. Together, we nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice to build the beloved community. Every Sunday after we say our mission, we have a moment for beloved community where we learn a truth about our culture that we may not have known before. And this morning, I just want to remind you that um, in major cities, there are many, many rape kits which are untested. There has been no follow up on these kits. And when someone did a study of the racial um, demographics of the kits, they found in Detroit that 80% of the kids that were not followed up on were African-American victims.
1: If you want to know more about what we mean by Beloved Community, you can visit the King Center website. But I believe that at the heart of Beloved Community is how we treat each other. And how we treat each other is based on how we feel about each other. And how we feel about each other is based on what we think and what we know about each other. So usually during this Moment for Beloved Community, we share stories about marginalized people. We share stories of injustice, we share stories of heroism, but they're hidden stories, stories that people in the dominant culture may not have heard before. We share these stories so that we can change our thinking that we can change our feelings so that we can change the way we behave towards each other. Can't strive for justice if we don't know that injustice exists, right? But beloved community exists in our own hearts and minds as well. That's where the real change happens. And this was brought home to me recently as it relates to my favorite part where I am right now. You can see some of the water behind me. And if you've been watching the story for all ages this past year. You've seen many different parts of this park, the lake, the creeks, the tadpoles, because it's my one of my favorite places. And one of my favorite spiritual practices is spending time alone in nature. And so I've spent a lot of time here over the last few years. Now, last year when the pandemic hit, a lot of people started coming and it began to feel like they were invading my sacred space, interlopers in my sanctuary, And some of them came and had big parties and knocked stuff down and got places roped off and then it was closed and it really felt like a personal loss. But I noticed as the year went on and things settled down a bit, I continued to nurse this grievance and I continued to indulge this feeling of entitlement. As a white, straight, cis person, I've been trained all my life in this feeling of entitlement. I've been told that I have a right, an entitlement to... To things and places and that it's okay to feel that way but as a unitarian universalist and as someone striving for beloved community i know that that's not true it's also true that nursing a sense of um, outrage at people or feeling like you're being intruded on is not part of spiritual practice and i began to notice that when i encountered people on the trail that seemed to me like they appreciated this place in the same way that I do I was more than happy to point them on the way to show them how to get to the fullest waterfalls but when I encountered people that I did not think were appreciating it in the same way that I do maybe people carrying loud music down the hiking trails or people letting their very large and unruly puppies off leash to scare my children I was not welcoming to them in my mind or in my heart I was not welcoming to them in my actions either. And I realized that I had an opportunity here. I had an opportunity for spiritual growth and an opportunity to change my experience. And that instead of nursing this feeling of intrusion, I could focus on gratitude for the fact that this special sacred place that I treasure so much could now be shared by so many more people. And the key here is that they're not sharing it in the same way. They're not necessarily valuing it or treasuring it in the same way that I am. And that doesn't matter. And now when I see people on the trail, even if they have really obnoxious dogs that are off leash, even if they have really loud music that I don't like, I can find joy and gratitude in my heart that they get to be in this special place. And of course, you know how this story goes because you've heard it before. Of course, once I figured this out, I was able to reclaim my own spiritual practice, my own sense of connection and joy in this place. Like all of our UU principles, there are many different ways to say the fourth principle. In the simplified language, we say, we believe that each person must be free to search for what is true and right in life. In our rainbow principles, we say, grow in our ideas and values. This means that there's not only one truth. There's not only one right way to see things. And if that's true, then we're not always right. And we get to be open to new ideas, new ways of seeing things. So when we meet someone that believes differently than we do, we can be curious about what they believe. We can think about it and then decide for ourselves what we believe. What I really like about the story we're going to read today is, is that there are two people who are looking at the same thing and they see something totally different from each other. But the artist does a good job of showing us the two different ways of seeing it. So your job today, as we're reading, is to look at each picture and see if you can see both things. And then we get to practice our fourth principle by deciding which one feels the most right and true for you duck rabbit by Amy Krauss Rosenthal and Tom Lichtenheld. Hey look a duck that's not a duck that's a rabbit are you kidding me it's totally a duck it's for sure a rabbit see there's his bill what are you talking about those are ears silly it's a duck and he's about to eat a piece of bread It's a rabbit and he's about to eat a carrot. Wait, listen. Did you hear that? I heard duck sounds. That's funny. I distinctly heard rabbit sounds. Now the duck is wading through the swamp. No, the rabbit is hiding in the grass. There, see, it's flying. Flying, it's hopping. Look, the duck is so hot, he's getting a drink. No, the rabbit is so hot, he's cooling off his ears. Here, look at the duck through my binoculars. Sorry, still a rabbit. Here, ducky, ducky. Here, you cute little rabbit. Oh, great, you scared him away. I didn't scare him away. You scared him away. You know, maybe you were right. Maybe it was a rabbit. Thing is, now I'm actually thinking it was a duck. Well, anyway, now what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? Hey, look! An anteater! That's no anteater. That's a brachiosaurus.
0: The end. So you all know Bear Koleskwa, who has been working here for the past three and a half years. And And he and his family have done so much for this congregation. And now they're moving to Michigan. And no, (laughs) it's better for them. It's terrible for us. Our
1: uh, meditative reading comes to us from Gandhi. When I despair, I remember that all through history, the way of truth and love have always won. There have been tyrants and murderers, and for a time they can seem invincible, but in the end, they always fall. Think of it. Always.
0: Let us now have a time of meditation and prayer where we speak to God as we understand God, where we listen to the wisdom that is within us, or where we just watch our breath come in and out of our bodies. You are welcome to light candles at any time during this meditation or at any time for the rest of the service. Let us enter into the wise silence together. May we see and feel the power of truth. May we have clarity and may our truth telling be rooted in love and compassion. May it be so. I had no idea that this sermon needed a song to start it with, but it does. truth down shining the light is so clear and pure when you finally see it i wanted to start by telling you about a show that kaya and i have been watching called ted lasso and it's such a wonderful show and there's a scene um in a it's a british soccer club and there's a scene in the shoe room where two people have gone in there to talk confidentially, but more and more people start coming in and joining in the conversation. And a young woman um, is, is complaining about her boyfriend, who's one of our favorite characters, well, they both are. She's saying, he loves me so much, he just won't give me any space. Every place I am, he's underfoot. He's just always right around me. I can't get any time to myself. And more and more people are coming, weighing in on this um, problem. That she's having with her boyfriend. And then the boyfriend, Roy, comes in, and everybody looks like scared rabbits, and the conversation dies. And he says, as he talks like this, were you talking about me? And everybody goes, yes. <laughs> Which just broke over me like a sunshine shower. I loved that moment because you expect, I mean, the, the whole trope in the, in the TV shows are that everybody would go, oh, no, no, we weren't talking about you. Everybody told the truth all at the same time. And it was an amazing healing moment because I, for one, after the last four or five years of, of constant lies and after our democracy is in a wrestling match with a huge lie that is threatening to destroy us, just that moment of clear, effortless, unanimous truth felt like a healing balm on my spirit. I felt the same when that um, Fiona, I can't remember her last name. Thank you. <laughs> I need help all the time. Um, spoke in, in front of the, the tribunal. And told the truth instead of dancing around and, and answering. I feel that same way every time our current president answers a question with, are you going to blah, blah, blah? And he goes, yes. I just think, who are you? It's a moment of, of healing when I hear somebody tell the truth. And I realize how much our culture is craving truth and how much because in Ted Lasso, there are moment after moment after moment after moment like that, where the truth is told. And it's not told in a nasty way. It's told in a way that just you think it's going to be terrible, but then it turns and it's okay. And I know it's okay because they have writers. (laughs) I'm not thinking that this is reality. But it does show me how much truth means. And our our fourth principle says that we affirm and promote the freedom to search for truth, the free and responsible search for truth and meaning. That's our fourth principle. And so we have to be free enough to search for the truth. Now, there are lots of ways of not being free. One way of not being free is to be in a congregation that sits on you so that you can't think freely without being in danger of being cast out of the community. And you would think that this is only the evangelical fundamentalist churches that do this. But I think Unitarian Universalists do this too. If you have thoughts that aren't with the common stream of... The congregation, sometimes you feel um, a quaking about maybe coming out and telling the truth. I remember a moment in South Carolina where uh, we were all sitting around a, a Unitarian Universalist potluck and we were talking about the recent election and this one woman just sort of burst out with, I voted for Bush. And it was a hard moment because none of the rest of the people at the table had voted for W. But she had, and she was a beloved member of the congregation. And so that congregation had a moment of truth, which ended up being healing in that the minds of the people at the table expanded just a little bit. We have this feeling in Unitarian Universalism that everybody has a doctorate. (laughs) But really, the truth is that 50% of our congregations have a college degree at all. And so people who um, meet in coffee hour and go, so where did you go to college? Are being a little bit classist and ignorant of the makeup of our congregations. So to know the truth is good, to tell the truth is amazing. So how do you know the truth well people say we have reliable sources and you people say well you need to have the ring of truth there's a ring of truth inside your heart and that's how you know that what you just heard is the truth and i think see i've been just really confused about this sermon because truth is really tricky when you come to talk about it because i think okay A lot of people who are QAnon people have the ring of truth. When they hear something crazy, they go, yeah, that sounds true. I'm just here to tell you that just because it has the ring of truth to you doesn't mean it's true. It has to be a kind of a peer-reviewed truth. (laughs) Which is where the responsibility comes in. You have a free and responsible. Who are you responsible to? You're responsible to your community. Again, the problem with the QAnon people though, because their community goes, yeah, that sounds true to me too. Mm. So, how do you know what's true? Well, the short answer is (sighs) sometimes you don't. Sometimes you don't. And sometimes you do. And sometimes you just have to decide if it's peer reviewed by people you trust. And if it's peer-reviewed by, let's say, science, and if it is, not only seems factual, but if it is factual, then it's true. So there is such a thing as capital T truth. And this is, again, where I have a problem because our beautiful children's story about is it a rabbit or is it a duck? It's a rabbit or it's a duck. You know what in real life and i understand the story is the story has a deeper truth which is we see things different ways and i see things one way and you see things another way and sometimes it's because we don't have enough information if those people in the story had the information about what that animal was they would be like it sure does look like a duck but it's a rabbit you know what I'm saying? And I feel like a murderer for telling you about that story this way. <laughs> I'll get over my shame in just a moment. So there's how do we know something's the truth. There's whether there is a truth about something. And then there are different kinds of truth. Like faith stories. The stories in scriptures are True in a way, many of them, in that they have a kind of a, um, they have a they have a transmission of values within them. So you hear a faith story about someone brave, about Daniel in the lion's <clears throat> den to tell a story from the Jewish scriptures, you know, probably. There was maybe not a guy named Daniel who had three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and um, because a Sunday school childhood I had. And you know that probably he didn't last in the lion's den with the lions. You know people probably didn't walk through fire unharmed. Probably, although I've seen somebody stand in a fire and be unharmed, but that's a whole other story. But there's a truth in that story in that we have to stand up to the powers that be as Daniel did, and we have to be unafraid of the consequences as Daniel was. And that's the truth in that story. So in faith stories and also in family stories, you can have healing truths and guiding truths, whether or not the story is historically true or not. Like. I just want everybody to raise their hand if they were told that they were related to Daniel Boone or Davy Crockett. (laughs) Oh, really? I thought everybody would raise their hand. Because when families have heroes like that and they claim people like that, or that we're related to Queen Anne Boleyn, or we're related to the King of France, or... We're related to some muddy peasant outside of uh, Shropshire. You have a sense of the values that your family carries. And even though those stories are sometimes not completely true, like we had this family story that my grandfather was a brilliant man. And he was kind of a brilliant man. Um, but that he had graduated and had all these degrees and that he spoke all these languages. Now, he did speak French and he did speak some German, but he just knew how to count to 10 in Spanish, but he counted it. (laughs) And he didn't actually graduate from Princeton Seminary. He just went there for a year. And he didn't actually have a doctorate. He was given an honorary doctorate, which is good. Nothing wrong with an honorary doctorate. But it's not the same as an actual earned doctorate. Because you just stand up, you give a speech, they give you a doctorate. An actual PhD is a lot harder, if you know anybody who's got one. (laughs) But I knew from that, that our family, that being intelligent and speaking languages and writing books was important in our family. So, you know, I try to be intelligent, I try to speak languages, I try to write books. So writing books has been the best, um, my best success, but the languages are oh, coming along. As in Hebrew, we would say kaha kaha, <laughs> which is about the only Hebrew I remember. <laughs> so I don't count it. I know how to count to 10 from judo class in Japanese, but I don't count Japanese either. Anyway, so your family stories have truth in them. Your faith stories have truth in them. And sometimes family stories can be really rough. Like you're the kid who breaks everything. You're the kid who always gets in trouble. You're the dumb kid. You're the smart kid. You're the beautiful kid. You're going to be successful. You're going to not amount to much. People actually say that to kids. You're not going to amount to much. Those family stories need healing from. Even being the beautiful one can be kind of limiting. So we try to tell truer stories. And we try to search for The star of truth. When we're covered up in doubt and fear, we need to look for the star of truth. And I'm not saying we can't ever find it. Because sometimes there's something you just know is true. And you tell your partner, I feel like this is really true. And they go, yeah, I feel like that's really true too. And you tell your friends and they go, yeah, I think that's really true too. And then you tell your minister or you tell somebody who doesn't know you that well and you think, Are they going to peer review my truth? Because, you know, sometimes people, again, have the ring of truth. There was this lady in South Carolina who never came out of the back room of her house because she thought that Jesus was going to come back for her and they were going to get married. And if she had tried to peer review that truth with anybody else, they would have said, Letitia, he's not coming. Come on out. But I don't want to mock it. I don't want to mock many. I'm going to mock her beliefs because that's ridiculous. But I don't want to mock many people's beliefs. But I just want to say, just because something feels true doesn't mean it's true. But you review it with the people that you know. And you think, how do I know? How do I know? Oh, when you're in graduate school and people are looking for jobs, they're all tangled up in what is the truth. You know, they're like, I wish... I remember at the end of seminary, I wish God would just ride across the sky, somebody said. I wish he would just ride across the sky. Go to Telluride. (laughs) I think he really wanted to go to Colorado. (laughs) And part of how you know what the truth is, is that you know what you really want to do. You really want something. Maybe that's true for you. Or you're really jealous of somebody who's doing something. Jealousy is a good way of Showing you what's true for you. What's the next thing for you? You're really jealous of somebody doing stand-up comedy? Maybe you should try it. Really jealous of an author having a book reading? Maybe you should start writing. Lastly, how do you tell the truth? If you have a truth that you need to tell somebody, that is sometimes really, really difficult. And all I have to say about it is make sure you're telling it with goodwill and not spite. And make sure you're telling it with love and compassion.
1: Join me as we extinguish the chalice. We extinguish this chaplain, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we hold in our hearts until
0: we are together again. Remember the way of the wind and breathe and blow. Remember the way of the fire and sparkle and glitter and glow. Remember the way of the wall Remember the way of the earth and grow. Let us go in peace.
1: This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.